So, are you ready for another podcast run by Luke that's probably going to fail and be hard to edit? Yes, I'm ready. My internet's <laughs> okay, not, so but I'm ready. Let's talk about the six types of working genius from Patrick Lencioni and the fine people at the table group. All right, Luke, me and you have a 45-minute show ahead of us. Yeah. Do you think we can do it? Yes, but I do not think I'll be able to do two 45-minute shows tonight. <sighs> is that is okay. that the end of the world? As we know it. I mean, I don't feel fine, so... Fair enough. You did just clean up the dead corpse of a mouse. I did. What happened? Uh, well, we have a mice infestation, so that's awful. Um, Good thing you're going to Notre Dame. <laughs> root, root for no. Notre Dame. So tomorrow we are. Um, so tomorrow, uh, sorry, I'm trying to do two, two things at once, which I can't do because I'm an irresponsible human being. So tomorrow we're having traps set up for the mouse, or sorry, for the mice that are in our house. Oh, no, I, I apologize. The Mises. And then uh, on the 9th, we have the house, we get the, we get the um, house um, sealed. Because you trap, you seal, contain, kill. That's pretty much our, uh, our goal right now. So uh, that's what we're doing. And I'm very ex- And then we pay for this thing, and we paid a lot of money. And they're going to come. They're going to do all this stuff. And they, they kind of take care of it. I mean, they do. They take care of the big problem. They help out with some small stuff. But the day-to-day stuff, we still have to deal with. And it hasn't been too bad. Aaron's done a really good job of it. And I had to throw. So we, uh, I came downstairs after we were supposed to record. And I was like, son of a gun. It smells like a dead animal. Oh, that's gross. So I knew it. And I checked. On, and they're really, we've seen two main spots that they have been. Uh, one is under the sink. Two is under the stove. And they weren't under the sink. And I was like, well, here we go. So I went under the stove and I pulled it out. And I saw the body and I screamed like a little girl. I cried. I cried oh, like a little girl. Ah! Oh, here's a funny story. So, um, <laughs> no, no, no. Totally but, different segue. No, 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 no. No, this goes right along with what you were talking about with the mouse. Uh, so the other day we're leaving the campsite, right? So we're in the middle of the woods, leaving the campsite. I am completely naked (laughs) and I'm getting in the shower and my wife comes in. She goes, Michael, Michael. I was like, what? Who's that? And she goes, sorry, Gomer. I was like, it's better. Um, and she comes (laughs) in, just kidding. And she comes into the bathroom and she goes, look who is sleeping under my bed, my side of the bed. And she holds up the bed sheet. Because we were stripping down the bed sheets because we were leaving. And so you got to strip them down and put them by the door and they launder them. And, uh, and she holds up this blanket and it is, or a, a, a sheet and it is a scorpion. And she thought it was dead. And she goes, yeah, this was right underneath the sheet underneath my pillow. Wait, and who then it started this? Shannon. And oh, I'm in the geez. bathroom. She comes into the bathroom. I'm naked. I'm about to get in the shower. She holds up this sheet. And on the sheet, about three inches down from her fingers where she's holding it up, is a scorpion. And she goes, this was right underneath my pillow. Thank God it's dead. And I go, it's alive. It was running down the sheet when she was holding it. And then she screamed bloody murder, threw the sheet on the ground, and ran out of the bathroom. And I'm like, I'm naked. What am I going to do? <laughs> I'm naked. And I have a theology degree. <laughs> and a master's in philosophy. <laughs> All I can look at the scorpion and just stare at him and say, why? <laughs> why? I, I can't talk to him about atonement theology. What, what am I supposed to do here? 
Scorpion, do you know why Christ died in order to pay for your sin? Well, not your sins, because you're not a rational animal. You know what, Scorpion? Let me just tell you about St. Anselm. See, the, the blood sprays everywhere in the Jewish tradition, and it's God <laughs> cleansing, and it's, it's, it's actually new life, which is what the blood of Christ is. And see, it connects. Oh, good. I killed you. I killed you with boredom. Wonderful. <laughs> oh, good! You're now dead with boredom. I'm just kidding. I, I think it's. I think that stuff was actually. I, I've been thinking about about that a lot. Your wife's Dude. sleeping with the with the um, scorpion in her bed is what is what I'm talking about here. Not atonement theology. <laughs> no, are I, you still I, talking about me though? Huh? Are you talking about me? <laughs> that was my gang name. No, actually. when I was in a gang. No, oh, dang it. Yeah, no, so it was funny. So then it, it falls on the ground in the sheet, and she goes, well, where is it? I go, I don't know. And so she grabs her shoe and puts on one of the shoes to stomp on it, and she grabs the sheet right where it was. <laughs> so it stabbed her, and she died. <laughs> and, and so, anyways, patreon.com slash <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my gosh, that's so funny. It shouldn't be, but it is. Hey everyone, Gomer here, and I want to talk to you about a wonderful podcast called Pints with Jack. Pints with Jack strives to discover the truth and beauty of Christianity through the lens of C.S. Lewis. Join a Roman Catholic and a Byzantine Catholic each week as they discuss the works of C.S. Lewis chapter by chapter, which is awesome. So, currently they're going through the screw tape letters, diving into the mind of demons as they try to tempt us away from our Heavenly Father. Each week, they form a battle plan to defend against the spiritual attacks of Satan. Now, here's a cool thing. They divide their podcasts into seasons. And so in previous seasons, they've covered mere Christianity, the great divorce, Till We Have Faces. And next season, they're going to cover The Four Loves. Till We Have Faces was the first book me and my wife read when we were married as like this whole... We, we read a chapter and then discuss it because we're intelligent Catholics. How awesome that you get to follow along with an amazing podcast. In addition to the weekly episodes, they also have an after-hours episode with C.S. Lewis scholars from all different denominations. My favorite one being with the whole screw tape letters. They interviewed Father Dwight Longnecker about his book, The Gargoyle Code, and they talked about his perspective on C.S. Lewis and how it spawned this unique subgenre of like getting into the minds of demons. Really fascinating, really interesting. So head on over to pintswithjack.com slash podcast and you can see all of the major podcast platforms that they're on so the google play store itunes all that good stuff so head on over to pintswithjack.com slash podcast thanks for pints with jack for sponsoring this episode of catching foxes gomer i'm starting grad school in less than two weeks ah i'm so excited for you i'm so jealous even though you're it is- taking a stupid major i'm so jealous even though I'm doing the thing that if you were in a leadership position at a church, you'd actually know how to do. Anyways, sorry. Don't mind me. <laughs> what, you mean theology and philosophy and social skills? Exactly. I majored in social skills. <laughs> Did you, though? No. <laughs> I was homeschooled. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. I've been so harsh on, on you today. I'm sorry, baby. That's okay. I, I probably deserved it. No, so, you don't. You don't. Two You're weeks a good from man. now. I am a good man. I'm a better man than you. You know what? That's true. Why don't you go away? I got this. <laughs> All of a sudden, the uh, podcast just just, just because. But I'm <laughs> just because. Just be. What is wrong with me? Just become. This is a problem, man. We, we can. Okay, let's back this train up here. But you ever think maybe we should record at a different time? <laughs> you mean like maybe during the day? Well, that'd be my ideal thing, but that's not really possible right now with my current job. 
I mean, I'm not saying that I'm going to change jobs, but I mean, I just wonder if there's a way that I possibly could make it happen. But my, but my, no, but my real point is that I feel like at night when it gets this late, I'm just a little bit off. You get a bit um, slap happy, and everyone just kind of gets, and somehow you're able to edit it to make it work. But there are things that come out of my mouth. I'm like, what did, what did you just say? That makes no <laughs> sense at all. I'm like, what's wrong with me? And then I go, oh, that's right. I'm tired, and I'm an adult. This sucks. Yeah. Hey, I'll record from five to six if you want to do that. Oh no, I'd rather die than do that. <laughs> You're well, then so when, can, when if, if in a normal work week, not you going off to grad school, in a normal work week, when can you record during the daytime? Um, I mean, when really, would it be good for you? Not at all. But there might be a day where I could say, "Hey, I'm gonna, going to work from home, and I'll just work an extra day." And we just take an hour, like ten in the morning or something. Like, but I, I can't necessarily make a habit of that. Right? Could you ever go into work an hour earlier and then say four thirty to five thirty? I'm going to go record a podcast. Um, y- yes, actually, yes, yes, I could. Yes, I could. Uh, challenge being, um, where would I do it? Anywhere you have Wi-Fi. Uh, yeah, I might be able to do. It's just yeah, I do I, it I in classrooms all the time. That's true. It's true. I might be able to make that work. Like if, if no, you know what? Absolutely. If we had a certain day where we needed to record during the day and it was best, for, I could absolutely do that. Because for me, three thirty, it would be you know three thirty to four thirty or three thirty to five, whatever. That would be ideal for me because school would be over and the Wi-Fi becomes unburdened, right? Because mm, we share it with sense. the school. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, uh, so I gotta take Gomer to the woodshed moment. Ooh, about what? Uh, it's somewhat complicated. So remember about three weeks ago, we were talking about uh, the movement of, like, transgender rights. And it wasn't, like, a central point of our conversation, but it kind of came up in connection to something else. And I had said that I brought up the notion of um, nonviolent protests and how they're shooting themselves. Everyone is shooting themselves in the foot when they turn to violence in their protests, because the, the thing that Gandhi and Martin Luther King Jr., what they discovered by using nonviolence is it is it unmasks your enemy as the villain because it showcases like they're the violent ones. They're, they're the oppressors. But when you use violence against violence, it, it continues to muddy the issue for people standing on the outside looking in, for the for the majority of, like, third-party people. And someone wrote an email basically saying he's a, a progressive Catholic who dips into our show from time to time and how disgusted he was with me for saying that because trans people are people who have suffered physical violence for millennia for, for being trans. And who am I... Essentially, it was, I shouldn't say who am I, but it was essentially a who do you think you are by telling them how to protest and give them limits of their protests when they've been suffering violence and marginalization, you know, forever. I I can see a valid point, right? Um, You know, you go back to that propaganda line. It's a shame no one listens until someone throws a Molotov cocktail. Um, And he was talking about the anti-apartheid movement in South Africa and why Nelson Mandela got arrested and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And I, I see a point to that, but... 
I, I still think it missed the mark of what I was saying, which is it's not about the individuals protesting. It's about reaching the third party who stands on the sidelines and being like, what's going on here? They can just as easily be swayed. Oh, those people deserve it, you know? Um, and that, that was that was kind of my point. So I just kind of wanted to clarify that. You know what I mean? That, am I making sense here? Yeah. Yeah. This is a real difficult thing for Catholics to try to navigate because you have a group that I think by all accounts is a, that is oppressed, um, has been treated poorly or disregarded and overlooked by by people within with, you know, in the church or outside of the church or just American um, Christianity as a whole. But then at the same time, the response to it is so weird at times and so um, contradicting that I don't know what you do. And and I and I, I honestly am okay with just um, with with just I'm um, leaving it at that because my point though is is that I have no idea that this this guy's tone could have been um very good. I, I have no idea. I, I I don't know and I don't care. Um I I just I I don't think that for the most part if there's one thing about about like um, wokeism as a movement that drives me nuts is the tone of the conversation. So, for example, Ellie um, Kemper, people are trying to – she's a girl from uh, The Office. I'm sure I mispronounced her name. So she's being canceled right now by some people who are trying to be uncanceled because she, as a 19-year-old, won a pageant that's apparently in the South and has deep roots in, like, white oppression and racism and the antebellum South or something. I don't know them. I don't know t- t- too much about it. Besides that, and 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 there's a part of me that just like kind of thinks like this happened when she was, this happened in like 2000, like when she was uh, when she was um 19. Are, are we really gonna try to drag her like in the mud because of this? Like what what are we doing here? And and that's and that's what I mean by like that's that's like like this is where you kind of lose me, and this is where I think there are some real problems because there's this rope there's this um Robespierre attitude about all of this that is just very much it it feels like just um like they're out for blood and as soon as they see it they want it and like it's really interesting and kind of horrifying and kind of horrifying but also kind of exhausting but then you go to this thing where it's like well there's actually there's stuff that's actually happened so what how do you deal with this you guys have heard us talk about I'm a better help before at length. And we're going to talk about better. That's H E L P again. Listen, better help can help you get hooked up with your own licensed professional therapist. You can start on um, communicating with one in less than like 48 hours. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It is professional online counseling done uh, securely online. You, you've heard it talked about on our show. You've heard it talked about like a whole bunch of podcasts. God wants you to find I'm um, a healing God and um, wants you to be the person he created he create you to be better help is committed to um facilitating great therapeutic um, matches so they make it easy and free to change counselors if needed it is more of affordable than traditional offline counseling and this is cool financial aid is available so um, better help wants you to start i'm um, living a um, happier life today go to their website read all all of the testimonies that are on there posted daily and guess what guys Guess what? 
Go to BetterHelp.com slash Foxes. That's BetterHelp.com slash Foxes. Join over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. And Catching Foxes listeners get 10% off their first month at BetterHelp.com slash Foxes. So if you go to BetterHelp, you will get 10% off your first month. That is fantastic. Thank you to BetterHelp for sponsoring yet another Another episode of everyone's favorite podcast, Catching Foxes. I am very nervous for our show in the month of June. I'm very nervous. Why? Because you're going to be gone and you're going to yep. be swamped. You're going to be swamped. Yep. Right? No doubt. And I'll be swamped for the first half of June. I don't think I'll be swamped for the second half. I think I'm going to actually hit a pretty good stride. And I, I, I'm going to, I'm going to miss my Luke. I'm going to miss my Luke. I don't know what we're going to do. I'm so scared. I'm so sad. Um, I'm vulnerable. I'm naked. So <laughs> story of your life. Am I right? <laughs> vulnerable and naked. The Michael Joseph Gormley story. <laughs> True story. <laughs> uh, as long as Pedro's in this house, there's no puck in this house. <laughs> You sent me this article from Medium on sure the, the six types of working genius. Now, is this a Notre Dame thing? No, no. So I've been um, listening to a podcast, actually two podcasts, um, recently. And so way back when, as you recall, we had business and thought leader Patrick Lincioni on the podcast. We it's sure up did. There with like a Merlin, kind of like a Merlin man kind of a guest. Um and I started to listen to not stuff that he was doing with The Amazing Parish, but stuff he was just kind of some of his own business podcast. And I – The Table Group. Their, so from the, the Table Group, but then there's the Working Genius podcast. And I got to be honest. I, I really, really like it. And, they, and so they have recently come up with a thing called Six Types of, of um, Working Genius. And I was going to run this by the Amazing Parish just to see if they were doing anything um, um, with this as well. I would imagine that they probably are or they are going to at some point in time. And so I was like, oh, I, w- I would love to hear about um, what they're doing before I talked about it on the podcast. But then June is happening. I'm like, we got no time. So – <laughs> we need content. Sweet, sweet content. I thought it would be fun because I, the thing that really hit me about this is when they were when they were when they were um explaining what the working of genius is and how and like, and like what are how the model can help you or your organization. It really hit me how actually crucial this is for people who are in ministry and a lot of the stuff that I've seen that has failed has failed because it on some step of the working genius it broke down. Mm, okay. And so I thought it might be fun to do what all po- all podcasters do is talk about it like I have, you know, any authority but I don't and I've only heard about maybe 10 or 20 podcasts about it. So yeah, you know, but that's I'm good enough for, you that's- know, as a oh, millennial, that makes you an expert. You're, you're practically oh, yeah. a master. You're going to lead a master class. I'm going to see you on those YouTube commercials for master class. There are there are Catholic there are Catholic of those speakers out there who have who have given talks, knowing less about what they are talking about. <laughs> I, someone's up there on, written on their hand. It says God equals good, devil equals bad, and they're like, I'm going to talk to you about spiritual warfare. <laughs> <laughs> 
That's awesome. So I um I we haven't talked about this on the podcast, right? <laughs> I was like, no, to no, no, no. The six types of working genius is totally new to me. There seems to be an unspoken, maybe even an unconscious expectation that's probably a myth, and that is that well, all these things matter in everybody. I think leaders often think, I want all my people to care about all those things, yeah. almost like they're virtues that we should all right. be aspiring to do all of right. this. Why is that not the case? Because, none, I, you know, I think it's because we need each other. You know, we didn't get put on this earth to live separate. I mean, you know, and I'm a follower of Jesus. And if you think about it, God makes us need each other. Mm. And if we, if any one person had everything, we wouldn't need each other. And, and I think this is what makes teams great. And people talk a lot about diversity. Well, diversity is primarily in diversity in your gifts. And so you have a team and, you, and if you can say, oh, I'm so glad she's great at those things and really celebrate her for that. And I'm so glad that he's great at those and celebrate him for that. It allows you to appreciate one another, allow people to do what they're meant to do. And it's what makes an orchestra great. But too often, and you know, Daniel, I'll tell you, I think the two biggest impacts of this tool are people feel guilty for the things they don't have. Like, oh, I'm lacking that. I'm, I'm just bad. I, I'm, I'm not, I don't work hard enough. I don't care enough. It's, it's a false thing. Secondly, they judge other people. They're like, well, you don't have that. We don't call it a genius or a gift. You're just not good at doing that. You must not care mm. or you must not work hard enough. And so when you do this, it's allowed me to feel less guilty about the things I'm not great at doesn't mean I still don't have to do them sometimes. It also has prevented me from yeah. judging others. Oh, I've done that so many times. Oh my gosh, we totally do. We, it's the it's the fundamental attribution here. Well, you're not doing that well because you don't care. No, that's not their gift. Yeah. So now I can say to somebody at work, oh, that's okay. That's not your gift. Let's get somebody in there. Or, hey, that's not your gift, but I need you to push through this just this time. Okay. 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 So big, huge caveat here. I'm not kidding when I say I've only listened to about 20 podcasts on this, but I have thought about it a lot. And so I might get certain things wrong of how the table group or people at the Amazing Parish or how Patrick or how Patrick Omlachoni himself would talk about this. But I was so struck by it, and I, I think I would like to just talk about it with you out loud. Yeah. So sound good? Okay, yeah. so I'm looking at a picture right now of the six types of um, working genius. And what I think this really helps you do is take an idea, or especially if you work in ministry, or really like anything that you have going on that you say, hey, this is a thing that I think would be kind of awesome. Um, how do we make this reality? And I do think when you look at like how we did I'm Catching Foxes as we come up on our 300th episode, woo! I can see that, like, all these steps did happen at some point in time. And perhaps I'll use that as, like, our, like model for, for that, just because I think it's the one that we are both going to under, that we both get. But also kind of pull in, like, my own experience, especially in ministry, I'm with that. But again, I, I think, I mean, they have said it applies to your own family, it can apply to your own life, to your, like, work, your parish. Like, I mean, it, it really, it it's kind of, I'm not always – I get a little tired of sometimes of like all of these – all of uh, the psychological stuff, and it's not bad. Yeah. No, I'm I'm right there with you. But I, sometimes I think it's all we talk about or some – you know, especially at, at like a um, – like a 
you know, like, uh, best, like when people talk about it on a very big scale, basically the TED Talk version of, you know, of like any of this. I think it's fine when you're talking about, about the person or like yourself or with a friend, but I, I'm a little TED, TED, TED Talked out. So are you ready for another podcast run by Luke that's probably going to fail and be hard to edit? Yes, I'm ready. My internet's not, <laughs> okay, but I'm so ready. Let's talk about the six types of working genius from Patrick Lincioni and the fine people at the table group. All right, so they really kind of break down your work into um, into into um, three steps. The first one, ideation. Step two, activation. Step three, implementation. And there are some things that that like that really happen in each part that are that are like pretty important. I think so. Let's let's take I'm um, catching foxes. As like as our first example here. So way back when, in the fall of two thousand and fifth, no, was it fall of two thousand and fourteen? My gosh, are we that old? Yep, we are that old. Yep. So when I started to think, like, man, I just kind of want. I started to wish there was a Catholic podcast that so both both in the way that I was I'm going to talk about and this and the topics that were covered, and I started and I started to think like, what would that sound like like? Um, what would that be? And that's kind of the first step of that's the first. I'm um, a working genius is called wonder, and that's when you start thinking like, hey, like what are some things that need? To, really, you honestly, I'm um, think of you think of questions like what are some things that uh, that need to be solved? Do you ever find yourself doing that, Gomer? This, if, if you had to nail one of these six things to me. So you have wonder, invention, discernment, galvanizing, enablement, tenacity. I'm wonder. Like, that's what I do. I think do. you are. That's yeah. No, I, and I did that. Um, I, I, in my different years of <laughs> corporate parish work, I have done the Strengths Finder. I've done a disc profile. Um, I've done a handful of those type of, you know, personality profile things. And over and over and over again, my strongest things are like, Getting new things launched, hammering out ideas, saying what if, what could be. Like, that's me. That's where I live. Yeah. And the, the, way, that this, um, <laughs> the way that this blog post, this medium post describes it, the genius of wonder, people with this type of uh, genius ponder about solving problems. They, always look, uh, they are always looking to improve things and help people reach their potential. They raise questions but don't have any idea about how to solve them. They're obsessed with untapped potential. They ask why and why not a lot. They are driven by the, by the idea that something is not right. Their motto, let's think about it. That is me over and over again. And I'm, I've, I, I see the invention part, which is, which is, kind of, which is the um, second type of the, of the working on um, genius and is the last part of the – and the last step in the ideation phase. That's when you're saying like, like what are the things that we could do here? So it's like I wanted to do a podcast with that kind of talked – I thought it would be cool. Like what, like what would it be like if we had a podcast that, that talked about this stuff and it kind of had a very – like a very um, open-ended style to it. And I could, we could talk about anything that like we wanted in terms of like you know pop culture and beer and cursing and all of that – and all of that dumb stuff that makes Catching Foxes everything that it is. I see the invention part as being where you start to come up with those ideas. Ah. So not necessarily how we're going 
to do them and what's the best way to go about them. And, and there's, there's, there, there is like a bit of it there, but it's, but it like, um, really is uh, what makes this work. And I think it's really cool when you t- take this in, in, into account. There's a book that I really love, and so this kind of is like a strategy part. That is, it's a one. It's by an old CEO at P and G. It's called um, How to Win. Sorry, where to play and how to win, which is the PNG approach to how they I mean, do their strategy. And one of the things that they say when they like go through steps that are kind of like this are when you get to this part, and, and they're not saying the unworking genes, but like they have a part where they only ask what needs to be true in order for this to work. They don't ask why this isn't going to work. They ask what needs to be true in order for, um, for, for this to work. And I see that kind of being part of the invention thing. It's like, like, what are the things that we would need in order to have this happen? But you're thinking about all like the good stuff or like, you know, if we, if we have to worry about money, what do we need in order to um, do this thing here? Well, yeah. What you're talking about in terms of catching foxes, like when we started, stop just saying, "Hey, we could do this." You know, okay. Well, what would it like if we were to do this? Like microphones mm-hmm. and online hosting, and you yeah. find out about this, and what about how often are we we going to record, and what's the topic? And we began to really think about it, yeah, more practically. And I think this is where, like, I I don't I think the invention part might actually be one of my skills. I could be wrong, but I'm I'm still not I'm not I'm not 100 percent sure. But I, I I think you are pretty good at that too, though. And I I do you think a lot of ministry lives in the invention part? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah yeah yeah. I think so too. I think a lot I of people so that are drawn to it are the are creative. Okay, so yeah, exactly. Let me back exactly. it up. Let me back it up. So when I was having my ten minute uh, advertising phone call with Tilma Parrish, that turned into an hour and a half phone call of us just talking about ministry. Um, one of the things that he he said was, you know, we find that there's uh, a, just a handful of dreamers on a parish staff, and then there's a lot of obstacles, and we want to help those dreamers like cast the vision to the rest of the people who, who can be somewhat, you know, obstacles to ministry and using online tools. And I said, well, you know, at my parish, we did a disc profile of almost everyone on staff in active ministry roles. So not the admin, not the, uh, you know, the, the sound guy, right? But it was all the people who ran different ministries and assisted with those ministries. And I found it so shocking. So disc D-I-S-C. Um, the D is dominant. Like you just have this dominant personality, you're a driver, you want to get things done. I is, uh, like ideas, like you love innovation. That's what it is. Uh, C is, or S is stability and C is conscientious. Conscientious is the Excel spreadsheet, I daughter and T crosser and all that stuff. But stability is like, I make sure that the foundation is rock solid. But every side has a light and a dark side. And when I took the test, I'm, a su- I'm really strong in the I category, and it's near the dominant. So, like, I have a vision. I get a vision. I'm sick and tired of old things and old solutions, and I want to drive my vision. I get really frustrated when people don't want to hop on the bus with me. But this is what I told the guy that I found so shocking, and I, I'm kind of interested if you see this aligns. Most of, almost everyone who was innovative, the I – were in youth ministry and were young and were attracted. I would say they were attracted youth ministry because you had a certain degree of freedom. In fact, you were expected to be outside the box 
in youth ministry mm-hmm. as opposed to maybe like a mm-hmm. classroom where you're not. But almost the entire staff, like the vast majority, was stability. And the dark yep. side of stability is they don't like change. And so when you begin to lay this out, and this is personalities, right? This is, this is not the, their way of viewing the church. In fact, they would probably say, oh, yeah, the church needs to change. We need to do this. this, this. No, for them, what they do every day is the church. And if you try to change it, you're changing the church. You're presenting instability. And so he, when I was telling him that, he was like, oh, my God, that makes so much sense. It's not that they're afraid of change. It's that their mission is to make this thing that they love stable. And the innovators can tend to be the people that destabilize it. Let's make your parish database a little heavenly. Tilma is a ministry tool that helps parishes bridge this gap between the online technology-driven society and our flesh-and-blood sacramental church. It's technology that supports the parish, supports parish teams, and creates opportunities for parishioners to actually encounter Jesus in a personal way. How does it do that? Well, Tilma Parish allows you to manage all your parish needs in one place. We're talking events, people, giving, email communications, and, and your website. But the best part, it actually has a Roman Catholic ministry philosophy baked right in. Beautiful websites that create a welcoming experience. Simplified online giving that makes a culture of generosity easy. And integrated people management that means you get to see the whole person when they sign up for marriage prep, the last class they attended, to the kinds of emails they signed up for. The more you see of your parishioners, the better you can serve them. And it's easy to manage, too, because Tilma is made for everyone on your team, no matter their skill level or experience with online database management, blah, blah, blah. It's simple, effective, and made to help move your parish towards renewal. The heart driving this technology is to equip parishes with what they need to love people well. With Tilma, big ministry impact is possible. So go check out a free demo right now at tilmaparish.com slash foxes, and you will get the first month on Tilma for free. That website again is tilma, T-I-L-M-A, tilmaparish.com slash foxes. Much thanks to our good friends over at tilmaparish.com for sponsoring this episode of Catching Foxes. And I think this is you know, like one thing in parishes that I see, or just any kind of ministry work, is that I... I, I swear this makes a big deal. You're all, like the like. How is your office decorated? How is you know it designed? How have you arranged stuff? Because if you're in a place that has a bunch of, and this is true for a lot of like a whole bunch of parishes, they're in a place that has a bunch of. I'm a wood paneling from the 1970s, poorly lit, dark carpets. You have a lot of S's. If you are an I, and if you are, you know, kind of your skill set is in this, is is like in this invention spot, it is a suffocating environment. I mean, it's, it is honestly kind of miserable. It's the anti-creative. And Why would I spend money on new paint? The old totally. paint is fine. And I think there are some people who are like, hey, we can't do And I'm like, but if you want to, like, if you, there are some people, if you want this invention, I'm not saying everything's got to be bright lights and awesome stuff, but if you want to cultivate this, you have to have an environment that tends to fit this, in my yeah. opinion. And so it, it, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of a big passion of mine, I think, is, is going to be on um, things I'm like this because I, I, the most um, creative I've ever felt and the most fun I've ever had was when I was with um, a, uh, the um, a Catholic Creatives Group. And I, and I um, did some thing where we went to this – we went to a 
co-working space, and I we, we did some work with um, the Grotto Network, helping them to try to navigate some uh, some stuff. And it was so much fun, and I felt like we were in a space where, like, the fact that you were trying to do cool stuff, th- cool, inventive, new things, that was respected, and it was enhanced by the environment where you were. Yeah. And so I think this is a real key part that you have a lot of people in the church who are, who, you know, are right there, but uh, sometimes you don't really know how to work with them or how, like how to really give them what they need in order to make that happen, both in terms of money or even, I mean, and like, like honestly, like a lot of that stuff is much more cheap than you would actually think. So, yeah. All right. And I, I, I want to move to the next phase because this is actually crucial. I think. Um, well, and here, let, let me just uh, stop. Let me, let, me, let me say one thing about us. I think one thing that we did that was really good is when we were in the invention part, we really identified what we wanted to be. And we really thought that, like, this was not a thing that we, which is kind of funny given how the rest of our um, show is. If we said this, it's going to be unlike <laughs> this, and we understood how much time it was going to. We said well, it'll probably be it will probably be 100 episodes. So we really find our voice, and that is okay. Yeah. And so, um, all right. So then you go to phase two, which is which is activation, and the first, and so this is the third working genius, but it's the first one in the activation phase, and it is discernment. I think this is my other. I think this is my other, like, top one, if not very, very um, – it is almost there. Okay. Can I read the paragraph? Yeah, do it. This type of genius understands how to listen to their guts. They evaluate their ideas and situations by using their intuition. They are good at translating their intuition to decisions. They have a natural ability to evaluate solutions with limited information. They provide inventors with insight and knowledge. They're a feedback machine. They're curators of data without using a spreadsheet. They often say, what about this? Their motto, let's do this or let's not do this. The only thing I would push back against that paragraph, and I, and I am assuming it's not from the table group, but it's it not. might be. Okay. But as I understand, like, so like all of these working geniuses, like the cool part about this is they're both – uh, uh, they're both uh, um, nouns and verbs. So it's a thing that you actually have to do as you're trying to make something happen. Mm, okay. And so I think that's kind of a key part. So and I, I think there is kind of – if you have the discernment gift, there is this part of it that where it's you – hey, you go, hey, there's something here that's just kind of off. This is weird. And, and you're able to kind of go, oh, here's why or like, oh, I'm wrong. But it it really creates the space to have those – have those conversations, and I think it's where when you look at how P and G does how like how um, they approach stuff, it's where they say now let's talk about all the bad stuff that could happen. What's going to stop this from happening? Man, that is that is key. That reminds me of World War Z. Did you ever read that book? Uh, I we listened to the first like um a chapter or two when they got to the guy who was supposed to be like Republican. And he's just a huge um, douchebag. I was like, I, I can't deal with this. Oh, I don't remember stuff. that. But in, uh, in World War Z, the Israelis shut down their border. And they saved themselves from having a, a zombie uh, apocalypse in Israel because they completely shut everything down. And when someone asked, why did you do it? They said, we have a council of 10 people that advised the president. And nine people were saying, this is stupid. This is stupid. This is stupid. 
But the tenth person, if everyone's in agreement, one person has to step out of agreement and argue the opposite side, even if they don't believe in it. And the whole thing was that guy got everyone to believe in it, and so they shut down the borders. And there are so many times when I'm in a meeting where I think, I feel like we agreed a little bit too quickly on that one. Even though I agree with it, like, can I push, can we just push back? Like, I feel like, I feel like the solution was agreed upon before we even debated the problem. So it's not really a debate, is it, right? Like, do you ever feel like that? Oh my gosh, all the time. And that's why I like how P&G, how they, I'm going to split that into two parts. Where during like, during, on the one part, you just ask what needs to be true in order for this to work. And then you go into, okay, well, what will, what will stop this from working? Or is this, or like, it, like, is this a good idea? Which is why I'm so glad it's part of the working genius, because this is where a ministry dies. Right here. Because in my opinion, in my, I keep saying it under my opinion, like people are like, you can't hurt me. I just said in my, in, um, <laughs> in my opinion, we mistake the, so I think sometimes one of the problems in the church is the hyper spiritualization of like, of all things. So when you get to the invention part, if it feels like a thing that God has put on your heart, or that, he, or that he really um, wants you to do, we count that as the discernment piece. Oh, yeah, yeah. But it's not. Now, it could be what God is – God could be putting that on your heart. I am, I am really I'm, – I'm not trying to argue that. But there is a part that doesn't um, mean that you get, don't have to think, like, think through the problems. Even St. Paul, when he went and when he evangelized the Greeks, he thought through, how do I speak to them? Oh, I'm going to talk about this unknown God here, like whatever. I assume with the Greeks, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> That's, that is my way of telling you to don't go into it. <laughs> and that's my way of saying, well, Luke clearly wants me to go into it. <laughs> uh. No, but otherwise I, he wouldn't have baited me with the famous comment <laughs> in Acts 17 where Luke was in, where Paul was in Athens. I see you're very spiritual people. You even have an <laughs> altar to the unknown god. What are we talking about? <laughs> I'm so I excited. <laughs> I love you so much. Okay, so but that discernment piece, and I think what we tend to do is we over almost spiritualize this part. And I'm, of course, God is important. Of course, we're coming from a place of faith. We want God to like guide these conversations, but it's where the humanity of everything kind of like this is where it um, breaks everything down. So if you don't have a budget and you say I'm going to have to spend a lot of money, and I mean, this is more common than what like we think. And if my pastor or if my boss isn't giving me a budget, what do I do? Can I can I actually do this if I don't have a budget? And I'm going to do my best to not get too specific here. But there's one particular thing that I was a part of, and this is where I think the whole thing died. And I'm not sure if it was God's will for it to die or not. But I think where it failed was the, this part, this discernment part didn't happen. And what we didn't do is consider, like, we didn't truly try to understand what was actually going on here and what were. And I think right here, if you were to view this as a verb, it's when you start to, you're you're starting to be able to see all of the factors that you may not actually know about because you have to then ask those ask those questions. So um, one example could be, uh, let's say that you want to do stuff with um, 
with Gen Z. If you've done ministry as a millennial to millennials and don't, it's not the same as working with Gen Z. If you don't understand all of like all of their issues, all of their baggage, all of their gifts, all of the all of the good stuff about them, you're going to talk right over their heads, and what you're trying to do could fall on deaf ears because this could be what God wanted you to do, but you didn't take the time to truly understand where this group actually was and and try to go. Okay, is this idea actually going going to work with them? If it really is a good idea. How do I then make this work with this group? What do you think about that? Like, would you say this is more like once you decide to do it, this is the more tactical side of it or what? I think it's when you start and see, this is where I, I don't know is where I kind of, I'm wondering, am I getting this a little bit confused with the next part, which is, which, um, it was like, is, like, is it a galvanizing piece? But I think if you view, if you view like discernment as, um, as a verb, that's when I think you do kind of um, like get into that, but you start to ask, well, what could screw this up? Or, like, how are we actually going to do this? I don't think you really understand X, this, 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 and this. So um, with Catching Foxes, I think one thing that we didn't do was, like, hey, we really didn't – we really didn't – we didn't um, – we didn't do a good, a good job of discerning um, – how do we handle our money? Like, oh, like, hey, okay, so here's he, here's what um, we didn't do. We didn't say, hey, you two are, like, both, like, okay with money, but you should probably have another person handling this stuff. Or you should probably do – it would be a bad idea to start – to, like, start a business without starting an, uh, starting an LLC. And I and I just wonder if our, like, if we had really thought that part, if we had thought that through, if we'd really kind of taken the time to really – to, like, um, really discern – and I really um, discern and understand what we were going to do. We could have saved ourselves some like more headaches down, um, down the road. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, and, and and that's what I mean. So like, where are the like where are the holes? What am I not thinking about here? And if you get people who kind of have that, who like have that expertise in this area. So if you you know if you're let's again let's say that you're doing if you want to start doing stuff with um gen z but you've been working with millennials and you don't talk to a gen z expert or you don't take the time just to read and try and try to understand where 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 they are that's going to screw up everything yeah because it's not it's not the same i mean i'm not trying to be a jerk but they've got a lot of issues so you've got to work really really slow with them you know, and if you think you're going to, or if you, you know, have a ministry where that you think it's just going to ex- take off, how, like what could really hold this thing back? And if you start to ask those things, then you'll go, oh my gosh, we need to, we need to spend some time trying to understand Gen Z. So this might push back our timeline here. Or I did a really good job in the. <laughs> this is going to sound sound kind of a douchey thing. I did a good job here when I started the adult office here in Cincinnati because I only knew the best place to start was in Cincinnati, not because it was the biggest part of the archdiocese, but for a, for a, a couple of reasons. One was I knew that my vocation was important. And if I spent, and if I was too stretched all like all over the place, it was going to just end everything. And I had to put my, put my personal, my had to 
I had to put my marriage first. And two, I knew that if I could make it work, I would have more room to fail out in Cincinnati than I would in other parts of the archdiocese. And so I said, okay, I think that's not a – so I I think being able to like ask myself, like, hey, what is that um, – by by being able to ask ask those like questions, I was able to really hammer out what like vision was without burning too many bridges. Hey everyone, Gomer here. Let me talk to you real quick about Redacted Coffee Company. They specialize in premium small batch coffees that are roasted to order. Let me say that again. This means the coffee you order is roasted the same day it is shipped to you. That ensures the freshest possible coffee being delivered directly to your door. This is why when you get coffee, so many people have to put stuff in it because when you get bad coffee that was roasted weeks earlier and then you finally get it, it's my store coffee. It's just sitting on grocery store shelves and it's gross. And that's why we have to add all this creamer and stuff because it's not fresh. Now here's the deal. Redacted Coffee Company, their beans are ethically and sustainably sourced. They prioritize, is what I love, Catholic social teaching right here, they prioritize ensuring farmers are not exploited and are paid more than a living wage for their work. That's awesome. Also, redacted coffee beans are processed in an environmentally responsible way that does not waste water. They only ship to the U.S. and Canada because of the freshness, but also out of concern about companies just trying to give everything to everyone in the name of profit. They don't do K-Cups because they're wasteful, they're destructive, and also, and we all know this if we admit it in our hearts, they produce inferior cups of coffee. I also like their business model because they're employee-owned. Redacted Coffee believes that's the ethical thing to do. Catching Fox's listeners get 25% off their purchases. 25%. That's incredible. Okay. But (laughs) you have to choose your loyalty. You can use one of two promo codes, Team Luke or Team Gomer at checkout. No, there isn't a limit on the number of times you can use the promo code. Yes, this is a popularity contest. Gosh, I love these people over at Redacted Coffee. That's Redacted Coffee Company who is sponsoring this show, Small Batches, Premium Coffee, Roasted to Order. Thank you all for sponsoring this episode of our show. (laughs) team gomer i have been learning i have been learning so my major sin when i was in my 20s was or major fault i should say is i second guess everything i guess this might be more of the wonder thing where i'm constantly second guessing and evaluating and reevaluating and analysis paralysis kind of stuff and I remember talking with someone, and they were just like, Gormley, you're a good dude. You have good instincts. Just go with them. And I'm like, what does that mean? It's like, well, you talk yourself out of things you should be doing. And you're letting fear and all that other stuff disguise itself as prudence. Just go and do it. And I was like, holy crap. And that is a lesson that I carry with me because I don't think naturally – I've learned to listen to my gut. That is a thing that I've developed, which is weird for me because when I listen to it and just kind of go with it, I feel there's like this initial pang of guilt, like, oh, crap, I haven't thought this 100% through. But then you realize, you start asking yourself the bigger questions, like, okay, do I have all the information? No. Am I going to make a perfect decision? No. Does that even exist in this field? No. So what am I going to do? I'm going to make a decision. And I'm going to follow through with that one decision. And if it turns out to be the wrong decision, 
I will at least have knowledge of what not to do in the future. You know what I mean? And different mm-hmm. things mm-hmm. you can pull the trigger on with your gut going forward, you know, different levels of severity. Um, but there's a lot of stuff that were uh, unanswered questions themselves, especially for someone you know like us who maybe get anxiety over things and then don't deal with them. Uh, listening to your gut enables you to sidestep a lot of those anxiety things because it's like, no, 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 I, I, I don't have all the information, but what I can see, I can see pretty clearly. Let's not do this or let's do this other thing over here. I feel more confident and listen to my gut now than I have in literally the last 38 years of my life. So I would say it's a learned technique for me. And it can, I think one thing that can be kind of tough about if you are very, I'm good at this is you can be viewed as being very negative. Yeah. Or condescending. And then yeah, and you're not able – like, that was the thing that was uh, – that I did hear about me, that people thought at the Arshaisis that I would be – that I was too negative. That I would be like, I need you all to understand. Young adults don't care about you. You are an afterthought. Yeah. <laughs> Which they probably didn't like hearing. But I was I was so like, no, like, you think they're going to come to this just because you're going to do it, and they're not. They don't – like, they don't think about you. And what I think the right response – to that is okay so how do we better understand that then how do we take that into account while we do these things how does that change anything and i when you don't and i'm I'm not trying to say like poor me here but when you don't if you have i kind of have a feeling that if you have a person who you don't want to be stuck in the discernment phase because i think it can get kind of dark and you can get and it can get a little bit um uh, you can start to view the rules kind of being like, oh, my gosh, everything is awful. Yeah. Or um, – and I, and so I, I think it's important to really be able to say, okay, and now we're – now we are – I'm done or like here's – or like here's what we think that you have said that's actually a good point. And let's talk about how we can really – how we really can, uh, can like address this because I, I, I do think this is where most of the ministry dies right there. Yeah. And for the most part, it's because of um, human issues. So, all right. So the last part of the last part I could talk about. I just wait, wait, we didn't, about the we didn't do galvanizing. End. Well, yeah, that's that's what I'm about to do. The last part of the activation. Oh, phase. sorry. I thought you were going to say the last part. Okay. My bad. No, you're fine. So, so, no, no, you're fine. So, again, it's important to view all of these as verbs. And the last yeah. part of, of the activation phase is, um, as we just heard from Gomer, galvanizing. And why don't you read the paragraph on on that? This type of genius understands how to get people together. They take a great idea and move it forward. They inspire and organize others to take action. Most people describe this kind of working genius as initiators. They say, if this is a good idea, let me get everyone moving in the right direction. Their motto, let's move forward. I think you're good at that. Mm. Mm. I think that's, I I think, like, I don't, I think I am good at this. About things that I really care about, so it comes out. Because, okay, so from everything, from everything that I have heard, again, very, very, like, I'm a very, very, I'm a very, very, very limited. You, like, you tend to have your people tend to have two main working geniuses that they that they are like best at, but they can also have, but like, we can all kind of have each one. 
You know, yeah. so there are things where I can really like I'm very especially when it comes to the U.S. men's um, national team getting people together, wanting to go and like do do stuff. I will make things happen. On the um with that, I think in the beginning I was the one that pushed the most to like record on a consistent basis. Yeah, totally. But I was scared to do it. Because I don't think it was just like it, was, it wasn't a it wasn't a I'm a natural thing. I was scared that I was honestly scared that you didn't um, want to do it, or I was going to hear you say, "Nah, I just don't have time," or "I I think I can do this better without you." We all know that's not true. <laughs> no, but it was a real and like that's and so it's it's yeah. not a thing that really comes naturally to me, except if I'm really really passionate about it, then I will. Um. But it's really important. I think you're pretty good at, and I think this is the this is yeah. The part that's that the thing. I'm the initiator. Yeah, that's the that's the thing. I'm I'm an initiator for a lot of people for that. Um, you know, Dave Van Vickle has this line where he says, "I'm really good at building teams. I'm really good at building teams." And I'm like, I'm not good at building teams, but I'm like a cheerleader when I understand something, and I when when something makes sense to me, I like that's my driving. Like I like to galvanize people around a a mission or a goal or something new. Like, for instance, uh, you know, I probably got 25 people set up for retirement accounts for the first time in their life uh, because I... <laughs> That's I, such a you thing. I know, right? Like, I did the fire thing. I got all this information and I was like, holy crap, our diocese is so ass backwards on all of this stuff. And I, I wonder how many people have it. So I just asked, like, what's the number of people who have retirement accounts? Versus those who don't. And she goes, three people have them. And we were a staff of 36 people. And I was like, holy crap. So then we did a, a thing. I did a seminar on it. I had a guy who was a multimillionaire <laughs> sitting, in the, sitting in the room. And he was like, that was one of the best financial presentations I've ever heard in my life. And I'm like, okay. And I had this other guy come up to me. And he was like, okay, so you just tell me the stocks that you picked. And I'll pick the same stocks. And I was like, nope, 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 nope. That crosses the line. I am doing this for entertainment purposes only. I am not a financial advisor. Sir, I've listened to 10 podcasts on this. Yeah, maybe even 11, <laughs> but they're all at double speed. It kind of blends. <laughs> well, I, no, true. This is where I think evangelization, as we understand it here in, um, here in America, this is where that lives. Yeah. This is where – because, like, I, I got – honestly, even till this day – Street evangelization makes me uh, makes me super uncomfortable. I don't want to do it. I don't. I because I'm always like they're, they're, they don't want to hear this. They're gonna hate me. I I just want to be I'm loved, and I just want to be I'm a, I just want to be I'm a loved and accepted. I don't want to do like it's it's it really is super uncomfortable. And I understand that it's good to go and do it, but I think if. Like I'm, I, it's not just going to come out of my being, but you will. Like you do this for everything that you love. You do it for different um, podcasts, for different books. Like I, th- I think it. Don- I mean, honestly, it's kind of weird that didn't um, dawn on me until we were talking about this. Perhaps I want to say about a year ago on the podcast when I when it hit me that oh, like you're an evangelist about everything you love because you're an evangelist. Like you, if I honestly think if you didn't really, if you didn't grow up uh, with the Catholic faith, I think you would still be this way <laughs> about, you know, stained or like some other um, dumb stuff that you like. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's funny. My father-in-law is, you know, he runs like multiple companies and, and whatnot. And he had attended, um, Sumville Mid-America, which is kind of cool because I'm hosting Sumville Mid-America for the second time. Or not hosting it, but speaking at it. And 
the last time I did it was I think 2016 where my brother-in-law Stephen married his awesome wife Aaron and um, my sister-in-law Lydia was I believe she was a junior at the time and it was the last year my father-in-law was coming as a core member to a Sumville retreat and the <laughs> the youth minister <laughs> got his face blown up really big like like you would see at the NBA behind the goal when people are taking free when the opposite team was taking free throw shots they hold up you know like big faces yeah, and try to it's so know. funny they had my father and i was so he intimidates the hell out of me so i was going to do that he does absolutely. <laughs> he makes my balls just like shriver up into <laughs> yeah. well, up into your body cavity you go <laughs> for safety in the pool no i wasn't i was thinking of my father in law Oh, yeah, which is really uncomfortable to connect those two things. Um, no, and so, uh, but I had to do so true. I had to do a talk on pornography as the first talk, and I didn't want, and, and, and it was introduced as like the talk on pornography and blah, blah, blah. So I wanted to come out. <laughs> everyone knows it's coming. Yeah, everyone knows. But it was the first time at a Super Bowl conference where they had combined men and women, because usually they do it separately. And it was like, ooh, we're going to do it. And it was just like grand thing. And I'm like, good Lord, we've been doing this forever. But uh, so I walk out there and I had this button and I'd push it and all of the fog machines would go off and they had fog jets and it shot up from the bottom of the stage up into the ceiling. And I go, today, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to talk about pornography. And I hit the button and all these jets go off. It was awesome. <laughs> and it was. Just, and so I gave my talk and I just did that to like disrupt the like, oh, here it comes. But so I gave the talk and afterwards my father-in-law was like, oh, my God. He talked to my wife up and down like. That guy needs to be in sales. He is a natural-born salesman. I guess he works for Jesus. But he is a natural-born salesman. And I was like, that makes me feel all kinds of special inside. (laughs) Because, like, I've never worked in the private sector. I feel like if I were to step into the private sector, like, I don't know where I would fit. You know what I mean? Like, do you have a job where I can give talks all the time? (laughs) You know, like, (laughs) I, I don't know if that job exists outside of TED Talks. But, um... So yeah, that would be. I listen to a Merlin Man podcast. I've got things to say. I got things to say. It's his things, and I can say them with less profanity than him. But I, you know, and I always struggle with that. But you, I am an evangelist for the things I love. Most people are. You have no problem sharing that which you love with those that you love. But I think even if you had to, you could do because like here's here's sorry. I I, told, I know I kind of no, you're good. You're good. Sorry about that. Uh, I'm 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 sorry, baby. Uh, you know I love you. I think people, especially when it comes to work, we forget that it's not about inspiring the people that we want to, like, either um, be our customers or people that we want to um, come to our uh, come to our, like, youth group night or the people that we want to um, give their hearts over to Christ. It's about, like, we need to inspire the people on our staff, people who are involved on these oh, teams. Yeah. They need to feel like they like, I'm in. You are speaking to my heart. You are speaking about things that I care about. You are... You are like you are really. I'm helping. Um, you're helping um, me see why I'm so important to making this happen, and why this aligns with my values. Because you understand me, and you are. I'm um, speaking to that, and we miss that a lot. And I think you're really. It's, it's why I think you're really good at when you do um one on ones with um people. You kind of um hear them out, and why I can be kind of bad about that because I just want to talk a lot about the discernment part or like, here's why this is bad or here. Or I, I tend to go on like a whole bunch of like a whole bunch of like monologues. And I need to, I need, it's a, it's a thing that I can do, but I have to be conscientious about the fact that I'm, I'm doing it where I think you just, it just kind of happens. I'll take it. So Michael Gormley galvanizer. 
the, your two geniuses are like this cup right here, a cup of coffee. And if you were to pour coffee into it that's hot and put a lid on it, it's going to hold that energy, that heat for a long time. Mm. That's your genius area. Okay. It's like, I could do that forever. Your weaknesses are like a cup you pour into and there's a hole in the bottom of it and it just leaks out the bottom. It holds no energy or joy for you. Right. And this is where we have to get rid of our guilt and our judgment. The last phase here is implementation. And the first I'm working genius is um, enablement. And this is the support. Like we're going to I'm going to help you make this happen. And I think when you do that, um, I'm actually pretty good at this because it's important to me that people feel very valued and, and to the point where I feel like this might even be – it could go into my top two. It just comes um, natural to me that I want to make sure that people have all that they need and they feel that they can go to me about whatever and that I um, – it's, this is why I think I get so annoyed when I don't get this, which has been very common in my experience at the, at the Catholic Church. I mean I have lost my mind and said not very nice things when I haven't had expectations communicated clearly to me and then I'm held to a standard I didn't even know about. Oh, gosh. It, it drives me up a wall. And that's what, and that's what enablement does. Hey, you like – you need a budget. Let's even, I mean, of course, like most, like, you know, I think the majority of budgets end up being wrong or they, you know, we don't hit it exactly. But, like, let's at least have, like, a vague idea here of what you need in order to make this happen. Let's make sure that everyone understands what you're doing and that, and that we have a plan for, like, when we're going to meet and stuff so I can give you things, things that you need. This gets missed a lot or it gets misunderstood, I think, as just, oh, I support you. You're good. It's not – again, it's a verb. It's a verb. It's a thing that you actually have to do. Yeah. I like this this idea because – so they t- talk about they know how to connect and cooperate with others. You don't have to ask them to help you. They sense that you need help and they show up and do the work. They're respond- they are responders. They respond to the needs of others and help them discover their genius. I like this. And I know this is not me, but the funny thing is the genius of enablement can often get disguised as I've heard and seen this many a time where it's like, well, I told them their job. They have their job description. Now they just need to do it. And I don't need to hold their hand. Like I'm empowering them. I'm not going to micromanage them. I'm empowering them to do their job. And it looks like enablement in the good form of enablement as in the genius Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And the genius of enablement is like, I'm going to help you, like you said, I'm going to tell you clear expectations and train you on how to get there from A to B to Z, and I'm going to train you on that, and then I'm going to step back. Like, um, when I was doing these youth ministry uh, interviews, one person said, yeah, I, I got a bunch of questions for you. And I was like, oh, okay. It was one of the few people that actually, like, was kind of matter-of-fact about it. And I was like, good, I, I want your feedback, I want your questions, what, what are you thinking? And he goes, yeah, so I know a little bit about St. Anthony's from friends of mine and blah, blah, blah. How am I going to plan my uh, life nights and edge nights, like if I'm the youth minister? And uh, he's like, my first semester, like, what is your role in planning that? And I go, hey, that's a really great question. Here's my role, and here's our role together in planning it. We're going to have a table 
You're going to sit on my right, and I'm going to plan the entire thing the first year. And you're going to watch me, and you're going to ask questions, and you're going to give me your opinions, and I'm going to stop periodically and say, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? And we're going to talk openly about things and get feedback from things, but I'm going to plan it out because I want you to see how I want it done. And then the next year, we're going to switch seats. And you're going to plan it out, and I'm going to sit there, and I'm going to ask questions, and I'm going to provide feedback, and we're going to talk about things, and we're going to go for that. And the guy just sat there, and he was like, wow, that's a really great answer. And I was like, because I know what it's like to just be dangled out there, and I don't want, the, I don't want more people being the victim of unvoiced expectations, or worse, shifting unvoiced expectations. Yeah. It's almost like we micromanage the wrong things. Yeah, you know, or 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 we, we micromanage at the wrong time. It's not that micromanaging is inherently bad. It's inherently it's bad when you do it at the wrong point in time. Yeah, it's great in the beginning because then people don't totally, feel like they're idiots. Totally, they're actually totally. doing a job. Yeah, and especially if you're giving them everything that they need, and you're you know, and all. And I one thing that I struggle with in in this part. Which is why I think it might not be my top one. Is at the very end, I think it's very important to constantly provide feedback, and so I do. I will communicate my I will communicate my expectations so clearly. I do a really good job of that. But that little part at the end, and this is a thing that I that I really um learned with with um with Carla, who was I don't know if you remember, she's the executive coach that I, I worked with. Um, like one of the last parts of it is you have to then provide um feedback. It's kind of it's kind of the coaching part of like, hey, this actually went um well, or you kind of missed this, or you kind of or you kind of um missed that. If my ADD brain will skip that part unless it's and I have to build it into like what we're doing, you know. So because if it's just if it's totally left up to me, I won't do it because I just forget about it because it's kind of it's a thing you have to do at the end. It's it's not a part of the like it's the last part that you do. So you have to communicate stuff yeah. or you do your best and then they have to actually do do the stuff. Then you provide the feedback. And I tend to forget all the feedback Besides, I'm saying, great job. I don't ever yeah. come back saying, well, actually, thought about, you know, A, B, C, D, or E. The so. hardest thing for me right along those lines is uh, what in Jocko Willink, you know, in his leadership books, he calls the after action report, right? It's the feedback mm -hmm. where you just make it systematic. One of my coworkers, Shelly Wilson, she she's a confirmation coordinator. She is incredible at the genius of enablement. That is her. She does that, and then she says, you know, she puts in my calendar – follow-up retreat planning meeting, right? So we, we planned the retreat. We executed the retreat. Well, now let's do a follow-up for next year if we have to do it this way or, you know, just go through the things mm -hmm. that maybe worked, what didn't work, what was a time suck, what, you know, what had little return, you know, whatever. What did we love? What did we hate? What, have we, what are the feedback we've heard from students? What about the parents? What about the core team? Like, let's solicit there. She is incredible about that. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's awesome to work with someone who does that feedback at the end, right? Oh, that's great. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, I, yeah, I've, oh, it, I get so mad at myself every time that I forget it, which is almost always. <laughs> so the last working genius, unless you have anything else to add nope. about. Their motto is let me help you get things done. I like that. Totally, yeah. The last part, and this is <laughs> we're both terrible at this.
this, this is the last phase. This is the last. I'm working yep. through this, and the last part of the implementation phase is tenacity. Yeah, <laughs> impact and results. Yeah, this is when you just get the shit done. Like the world is the full group. of people who start projects but fail to get things <laughs> exactly. done, and this is where the um uh oh someone just fell downstairs. I hope Aaron is okay. I might let me let me just. I'll I'll read the paragraph. I'll read the paragraph. This group of people despises starting projects without finishing them. They get satisfied with completed projects. Organizations that do not have this type of working genius struggle to finish projects. They have a to-do list, and they do not lose interest until the project is completed. Their motto, let's complete this project. Before Luke comes back, let me do the summary. So there's three major categories, ideation, activation, and implementation. And I know sometimes this just sounds like business douche speak, but I think it's very helpful. The first two categories, wonder and invention. Wonder asks, why not? They ponder about uh, solving problems. Invention is about creativity and workable solutions. I really am 10 times better at that whole wonder stage than I am at the invention stage. Uh, Their motto, let's think about it. Invention, let's figure it out. Discernment, let's do this or let's not do this galvanizing let's move forward the genius of enablement let me help you get things done tenacity let's complete this project (laughs) i have none of that whatsoever our poor our poor merch person rachel has just i've left her hanging so much because it just it's i'm just terrible at this part and this is where all the money is of course (laughs) so and it's what a lot of people um value and it is interesting because I think this is probably where we have also left prob- a lot of money on the table. We probably have, could be doing merch for the past four, five, you know, four years now, and we're just now getting around to it, you know, and all. And we're just—it's not our—it's for us. It is not a—it's not a skill set at all. I mean, we, we can't. No, here's the thing. Of course, we can. Of course, we can. But it's something we have to choose to do. I think, as, as opposed to just we just. Um, naturally, uh, I'm gonna do this, and and I think one thing why a whole bunch of stuff tends to not work out is because we think is we skip from we skip from the invention part and we go right to the like, tenacity piece, and yeah. that's not right because you miss all this other stuff. It's why most things don't work, or that's why people will that they won't stay at their job because the culture is awful because it's just like you know um, this is what we think good work like what it looks like is just being like it's just going 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 and just being absolutely exhausted all the time and what but what really helps me honestly this is why i this is this this was like the game on the changer for me was if you if you view all these as verbs this is a thing that i can turn on because actually when i start to get like this i can be in there for too long or I don't, or I will, I'll skip. And so it's, it's a thing where if I say, Hey, so I've gone to the point now where I will say in my calendar, half hour of this is like, this is like tenacity time. I got to get this stuff done. And it's so much more, um, it's so much um, more helpful because I don't, I, I, uh, for years, I felt like I sucked because this just, this was the part that I had the hardest time at. at and I thought this is what a good um, worker bee did was this. 
and it's just not true. But it's a thing that you have to be able to do. In certain jobs, you have to be able to do it more than other ones. It holds no energy or joy for you. And your two areas of weakness are the genius of tenacity, which is finishing things, mm-hmm. doing the last details to make sure it gets completed, and, and the impact is, is had at the end, and enablement, which is coming alongside of somebody else's idea and providing whatever support they need. Yes. That doesn't mean you're not a nice guy. It just means right. you like to determine the new idea and get people moving, and then you kind of like to step back. You know, it, it really rings true with me. And I, and I struggle sometimes, even with my colleagues, about my lack of, they might even be said sometimes as lack of follow through. I was going to say, that's mine. And I'm like, oh, that hurts because it sounds like I'm not hard work ethic or hungry or doing, you know, but I, I've had feedback that kind of sounds like, hey, you're really good at getting everybody excited, but then you don't do the real work. Right. And this is where we have to get rid of our guilt and our judgment. I got nothing more to add here. This is just, yeah, I mean, if you were to say anything, I love new things. And when projects start to fail, you know, need to get things done, that's like, well, it stops being new when it's almost done. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm done with it. It's yeah. not new. It's yeah. not pretty. It's not novel. It's not, you know, and I'm sure there's a sinful disorder there, and I'm sure there's a, a beautiful thing there, you know, like, the 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 fearlessness of desiring something that has never been in the world right like creativity that matters thinking yeah, through totally absolutely no but like okay so let's take the catching foxes example again when you when when you look at the galvanizing part we told everyone i went through and i asked all my friends to like i'm catching foxes and i i put a post on my own facebook account after that, where I said, I've never felt so dirty. I'm sorry. <laughs> like, yeah. just, but I knew, I was like, in order for this to get out, I have to tell people about it again and again and again. Yeah. And we continually, like, we um, posted stuff. Like, we don't, I don't post our episodes ever a- anymore. They're, like, I'm going through all my Facebook um, memories and because I have, because I'm obsessed, uh, I'm obsessed um, with my past. And so many of them from like four or uh, four or almost five years ago are Catching Foxes episodes. There's hardly any I'm Catching Foxes episodes from two to three years ago. But I knew that we needed to do that at that point in time because we needed to get people excited about what we were doing and how it was a new thing. We were actually kind of like kind of proud of it. And then we did a really good job of we – had vulnerable alone conversations that that I think really helped enable us to keep it going. Yeah, and we were pretty vul- and, and like you know I, I think uh, we were we were unwilling to say hey this is good this isn't good or like oh my gosh this is like like we were it was like we were we were pretty good at that and then we um, really had the foresight because if you look at our first half like half like year or so we missed a lot of weeks <laughs> and. Yeah. We had the foresight to go, hey, like, if, like, we're going to do this, we have got to do this every week. We'll record on Wednesday nights at 9, and we did. And that is what gave us the legs that, like, that um, that we needed to really make, make – to really make – all of this um happened but we did each of these parts here which i'm like i'm now pretty convinced that this is one of the reasons why catching foxes worked and i think if that if we had been too alike in certain in certain areas it might i'm not if, if, if i really think like you're great at galvanizing 
and I've got the discernment part, and like, and kind of, and like, if we had both been good at um, wonder and galvanizing, I think I'm um, catching foxes is just another dumb podcast where people like try to like I'm um, talk about the Catholic faith in a hip, cool way, and it's dead in a year, <laughs> eight episodes and dead. As opposed to six seasons and a movie. <laughs> exactly. Give me that. Give me that of oh, Disney money. But I think one part of the, the like tenacity part that we don't do is we don't really pay attention to results unless we get sweet, sweet, awesome downloads. Um, and it's it's not just about like the work you're doing, but they uh, over at the over at the table group they explain it as you've got to land. Someone has to land the plane. Yeah. They have kind of have like a great analogy for like how you do an airplane and how it's and like we're always not best at you know landing the plane, but actually we we do pay attention to it when we need to though. So I think this is really good. I really encourage you guys if your team is having a hard time and things are just and you're kind of like hitting a wall or you're just really I'm angry. Talk like I'm listen to a couple of um, of these podcasts. Talk about this. Perhaps there's like a working genius um, assessment that you can take. Um, I have found so much healing on. I'm not even kidding from this in terms of how I worked. Being able to um, view these as verbs, it's kind of a game changer for for me. And it's helped me see how the team that I'm on, like I'm on um, right now, like where we're good and where we need to get better and all this. So I'm so happy that they are doing this. And I really, really hope that uh, – and I would anticipate that they're, that you will start seeing this over at the Amazing Parish if it's, if it's not happening already. Because I think this could there – there are other ministries that could be around r- right now that aren't because they, because they didn't have um, – because they missed a couple of these. Mm. Mm. Interesting. Oh, Luke. Luke, Luke, Luke. Special thanks to our sponsors. You know who you are. God bless. No. Um, if uh, if uh, Pat Lanchoni, feel, don't hesitate to hire us. Uh, 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 um, catchingfoxes.fm. Go, go to the um, contact page. <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> I'm only like slightly kidding. Well, I, I, we can contact him. Why not? Yeah, I would. I because I, I really, I would love to talk with like. So, like one reason why I'm going to grad school is I just think Catholic. I think Catholic organizations can be better, and it doesn't have to be like the way that it is almost almost everywhere. And so, I mean, do you know anyone who thinks that they're like so that they just had a recent um podcast called "Are You Um Ashamed?" Actually, it might be um very old, but I just heard it um recently called "Are You Um Ashamed or Ashamed or Arrogant?" It talked about how like certain um certain like certain certain groups are like we're great, we're like hitting all of our numbers, everything's awesome, and then or you have a group who is who is who they are. Uh, like very ashamed and they're like we're terrible this guy's doing this she sucks he's awful we we can't do that we, we aren't doing anything right and how the real answer is like in between because it's never going it's never going to be perfect but yet to yet to um, strive to be healthy and i think the bulk of catholic organizations are on the ashamed part at least every catholic group that i have that like i that um i have worked for besides like besides like porch rocking has been on the ashamed side of that every every um single one team gomer